0: Welcome to California Now, a new podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Satirius Johnson. Join me and we'll explore the people and places that make California one of the world's great travel destinations. Today, I'll talk with the host of Public Television's travel show, Samantha Brown's Places to Love.
1: I'm traveling through one of the most stunning stretches of earth and sea in the world, where the fury of the Pacific meets the curve of the cliffs, and all the bountiful land in between. This is Big Sur and Monterey Bay, California.
0: And we'll meet a chef who's helped make Oakland a true foodie destination and in the process has come to cherish the special character of the East Bay, both for its people... And it's access to the best ingredients.
2: I feel like we're right at the source. When you taste that difference and then you serve it to your customers, it's very clear. The quality and the experience is just like nothing
0: else. Plus, California waterfalls. It's all coming up on California Now. Welcome to California Now, a new podcast produced by Visit California. We're going to introduce you to some of the amazing people and places that make California such a fascinating place to visit. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. Maybe I should begin by introducing myself. I'm a relatively new Californian. I moved here from the New York City area where I grew up and where I worked as a journalist for public radio station WNYC. My curiosity about my new home state will be driving a lot of what we do on the California Now podcast. I'll be learning about the countless things to do and places to see all across the state And I'm glad to have you along for the ride.
1: With its Pacific Coast Highway stretching 655 miles, California has one of the most epic road trips you can take. And I'll be traveling through a small but monumental part of it, starting just a few hours south of San Francisco and making my way to the incredible Big Sur.
0: If you love travel shows on TV, you may know my first guest. Samantha Brown has hosted the Travel Channel shows Girl Meets Hawaii, Passport to Europe, and Great Weekends. Her latest series is Samantha Brown's Places to Love. It's currently on PBS. We talked about the philosophy behind her new show and some of the places she discovered while exploring Monterey and Big Sur. Hi, Samantha.
1: Hello, Satirius.
0: So, you know, your new show, Places to Love, why did you choose that name?
1: I really wanted love in the title because it, to me, would say immediately what people were going to feel after they saw the destinations that I went to. And I just think love is something we all need a lot more these days. So I wanted to um, also put it out there that this was a very positive show about people around the world.
0: How, how is this series different than your previous travel shows?
1: You know, I feel like my, my previous shows would often have me in situations having experiences that were uh, VIP. And it was all this attempt to show travel as over-the-top, and I wanted to change that dynamic so everything in Places to Love is attainable by the audience. Uh, A lot of the stuff we do is actually um, non-profit organizations, wonderful state parks, uh, just hidden gems, um, hole-in-the-wall restaurants that just serve up amazing meals. Uh, This is all about showing the traveler what is possible rather than be having this incredible experience
0: know uh, I've heard you refer to California as a bucket list destination. Why, why do you think – I mean, what do you think makes California so special?
1: I, I think it just has always lived in the minds of not just Americans, but if you go anywhere in the world, California has this allure to it. It has that magic. Uh, it's in its landscape and its amazing Ocean, um, beachfronts, the 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 people, the food, the fashion.
0: Well, you know, it seems like the like you feature people in your new series, places to love, a, a lot, and that people really serve kind of as an, an essential element to the show, as much as the places that you visited. Is, was that something that you did intentionally?
1: Absolutely. I mean, for the beginning, the inception of the show was to be more focused on the local and their point of view and what they had to give. Um, I call them the soul of a place. I always say that no matter where you go in the world, every destination has a soul. And there's an effort that goes into cultivating the soul, and the effort comes from its people.
0: In the first season of Places to Love, you, you, you go to Big Sur and Monterey. Why did you decide to include Big Sur and Monterey in the first season?
1: I think that, you know, Big Sur is one of those places that – is it an actual place? Is it a region? Is it a town? Is it a state of mind? No one really knows who doesn't live right in Big Sur, um, but we know what it represents, which is the magnitude of California. It's it's exclamation point. And I've always loved it. I've gone there a few times, and it's, to me, just amazing that on one side – of the the street, of the Pacific Coast Highway, you have the Pacific Ocean and these huge crashing waves, and then you'll come upon a redwood forest, and you'll be so deep uh, within trees that are ancient and larger and, and bigger in diameter than most homes. And it's truly one of the most remarkable places in the world. And so many travelers think that these huge moments exist outside our, our country, or maybe they're untouchable, and yet they're extremely accessible.
0: So if I were planning a, a quick trip to Big Sur and Monterey, wh- what would my itinerary be, you know, ideally in your uh, mind? Wh- what would I have to do to really get the most out of it?
1: I think one of my favorite spots was this tiny little town called Moss Landing which I believe is is above Monterey and it had a great restaurant called Hot Enchilada Hot Enchilada and uh, the woman who owns it, Kim Solano uh, opened it maybe 10 years ago but her father uh, is quite famous in the area, Ray Solano and he owns uh, the whole enchilada which opened up in 1979 it's this wonderful father-daughter team and the food is fantastic, It's 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 Latin American. It's everything from Cuban to Puerto Rican to Mexican. Um, but it's filled with art. And the art is just vibrant in the restaurant. And she also has this this beautiful um, outdoor seating area that's filled with beautiful succulents and plants. And you can hear the ocean in the background. And she talks about just how important it was for her to open up a business that brought all those elements of uh monterey bay uh, together i think uh, you have to go to the aquarium you have to it's wonderful i've been to monterey mm-hmm. three times i've been to the aquarium three times <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's it's there's something new to to focus on and to really enjoy what about wine hmm. so there are a lot of wineries in uh, this area uh, on in monterey bay and uh, along uh, towards Big Sur. Can I give you like a specific place to? Sure. To, okay. Um, go to the Nicholson Winery because it's family owned and it's only, I want to say three to four acres. That's it. And so even though California is known for this massive wine industry, uh, it also has these tiny, tiny boutique places that literally just sell their wine at their winery, kind of like not, not, not quite out of the trunk of their, <laughs> of their car. It's actually a really nice winery, but it's that personal um, experience that you have at a family owned place that I think you're going to love and then head down the coast. And I always say just um, stop just just stop, just pull over and especially go to the farm stands that you see along the way. And we stopped at a beautiful one called Pizzini's Farms. And this has been a farm uh, since 1929. They've been growing artichokes and it's all from one root that the great, 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 great grandfather brought over from... Uh, Sicily, Wow. we uh, stopped at, and I say we because I'm with a, a camera crew, but we stopped off at a, the state park, Garipata. Um And it's one of the few places that you can really get on the beach once big starts to happen, because after a while, there are, you know, 500-foot sea cliffs. And so that feeling of walking on the beach and feeling literally the power of the Pacific Ocean, because these waves crash very close to shore... And you feel that power. And in the distance, you can see whales. And that's a state park that you, I mean, again, this is totally free. This is something we all have access to. And so make sure that you stop at that state park. And then just enjoy the ride you have to stop of course at Bigsby Bridge which is the icon of Big Sur you have to get your pictures along with the 30 other people who are there <laughs> and what's really nice is and I've been there many times everyone gives each other their time to get that iconic shot no one gets in the way and um mm-hmm. and it's just it's just a it's just a magical ride and it's also one of these great road trips that you hear different languages which I love um it's not just uh, Americans out having their of course bucket list trip right. um, that Americans dream about. It's people from all over the world. And it's really it's really exciting to be like, Yeah, this this is
0: America. Do those ridiculous views of the Pacific coast and Big Sur, do they still take your breath away? You've been there several times now.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, uh, two of our crew members are are, like from Santa Barbara and they were just like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) I cannot believe this. Like, you know, (laughs) yes, I'm just unbelievable. So even people from California uh, never take it for granted.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Samantha. Great. Coming up, culinary treats in Oakland and a longtime resident guides us to highlights of the East Bay. But first, California's authority on waterfalls. You're listening to the California Now podcast, produced by Visit California. My guest, Anne-Marie Brown, is an accomplished travel writer and expert on California travel. But that career began with the guidebook, California Waterfalls, published more than 20 years ago. She joins us today for a lightning round of questions about her first love in the outdoors. Anne-Marie, I've decided to to go chase waterfalls in California. What is the most important item I should pack?
3: Oh, absolutely sturdy shoes. And, you know, that means different things to different people, but I'm going to say either hiking boots or good trail runners. Waterfalls are wet and slippery. You don't want to slip and fall. You need shoes with good grip and something that has some serious tread on the bottom because you're probably going to be, you know, walking around on wet, slippery trails. Leave your flip-flops at home.
0: <laughs> okay. Second most important item, I'm guessing if it's wet, maybe some rain gear?
3: <laughs> rain gear is a really good idea when you're visiting, especially some of the big waterfalls like the waterfalls we see in Yosemite Valley. Um, but also one thing I like to carry is my hiking poles. Some people call them trekking poles. But just having those extra two poles in my hands gives me a little bit more stability when I'm walking on a steep or slippery trail. So I'm I'm a big fan of those.
0: All right. Does timing matter when you're visiting w- waterfalls?
3: Oh, Absolutely. Of California waterfalls, most of them are at their best either right after winter, spring rains, or in the case of the Sierra Nevada, when the snow's melting. So if you're a waterfall lover, you got to pay attention to the weather. And right after a rain or as the snow is melting, it is go time.
0: Uh, if I could visit just one waterfall in California, which one do you recommend and why?
3: That's a tough call. But I'm going to say, first off, everybody <laughs> has to go see Yosemite Falls and Yosemite Valley. Tallest waterfall in North America, 2,425 feet high, unbelievably high, big waterfall, fantastic. You know, and I'm going to – you didn't ask for two, but I'm giving you two. MacArthur, Burney Falls, State Park. It's it's not too far from Redding. It's about a 45-minute drive from Redding, 129 feet high, much smaller waterfall. But it's just got a special beauty about it. Uh, President Theodore Roosevelt called it the eighth wonder of the world.
0: Okay, best waterfall for families.
3: Best for families. I'm going to say, that's a tough one, but I'm going to say Tacopa Falls, which is in Sequoia National Park. That's uh, an easy four-mile round-trip walk from one of the campgrounds in Sequoia. It's a relatively level walk. There's a ton of uh, marmots in that area, so these sweet little animals are always sitting up on their hind legs and whistling at you as you go past. And then when you get to the base of the falls, it's this really fantastic tall cascade that plummets over pockmark granite, um, and it's at the end of a U-shaped valley. It's 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 a sight to behold. Definitely a place you want to bring a picnic.
0: Best for solitude. They just want to be alone with nature. Where do you go?
3: Yeah, solitude. A lot of choices. And, of course, I can't tell you most of those. I have to keep under wraps because they're just for me. But I'll give you one I (laughs) like for a good chance at solitude, and it's Potem Creek Falls. It's P-O-T-E-M, Potem Creek Falls, and it's near Redding. The reason it's got solitude is because to get there, you need to take a five-mile drive on a dirt road.
0: How about most unusual waterfall?
1: mm
3: Yeah, I'm going to say probably Rainbow Falls at uh, Devil's Postpile National Monument. That's near Mammoth Lake, so on the far side of Yosemite, on the eastern side of Yosemite. Um, It drops on the San Joaquin River. And it's unusual because it really does have a rainbow. And that rainbow appears... Pretty dependably, at midday, as long as the sun's shining, when the sun's at its highest point, it gets this beautiful uh, rainbow that just arcs across its lower flow.
0: Is there such a thing as a wheelchair-accessible waterfall?
3: Yeah, actually, there are a number of really wonderful wheelchair-accessible waterfalls. Uh, Yosemite has a few, and one of my favorites is actually in Kings Canyon National Park. And that's called Roaring River Falls. I took my grandmother there in her wheelchair and she absolutely loved it and it is it drops on the roaring river and I'll tell you during snowmelt season in the spring that river really does roar it's it's loud and uh, makes an impact
0: okay and one last one most romantic waterfall maybe the the best for popping the question. <laughs>
3: Okay, well, if you're going to ask someone to marry you, you probably want a dramatic setting, right? You want, you need some drama. So <laughs> tough tough call right. there, but I'm going to say this one, Alamere Falls, and that's A-L-A-M-E-R-E, Alamere Falls. It's in Point Reyes National Seashore just north of San Francisco by about an hour. It drops over a 50-foot cliff onto the beach and then cascades into the ocean very dramatic. I think I think you get a good chance of a yes if you, if you go there.
0: <laughs> good advice from Anne-Marie Brown. Our lightning round on waterfalls with Anne-Marie Brown. She literally wrote the book on California waterfalls. Thanks so much, Anne-Marie. Thank you. You can find links to everyone and every place on the California Now podcast at visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now, and I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. Tanya Holland is executive chef and owner of the famous Brown Sugar Kitchen. She's known for her inventive takes on what can variously be described as soul food, southern cuisine, and comfort food classics. She's a dedicated resident of Oakland, California, and has helped put Oakland on the food lover's map. She's written two cookbooks, appeared on the Food Network series Melting Pot, and season 15 of Bravo's Top Chef. I know I'm going to be visiting Oakland in the next couple of weeks, so I started by asking her what to order when I get a chance to visit Brown Sugar Kitchen.
2: Well, uh, you would be remiss if you did not have our chicken and waffles. Uh, we're really that's what we've become known for. It's a yeast risen cornmeal waffle so it's really light and airy and we have buttermilk fried chicken and we serve it with our homemade or made in-house apple syrup.
0: So Tanya, when I walk into your restaurant, what would I see? what what would I smell? What kind of aromas would there be wafting out of the kitchen? take me into your restaurant right now.
2: Well, okay, it's, you know, people walk up to the building and they see this little brown triangle and uh, they can't imagine what's inside. We have five little windows, so there's not a lot you can see from the outside. And you walk in and we have a very colorful room. (laughs) When I got the space, it had this orange floor and I put up this sort of split pea uh, paint above the wainscoting and the wainscoting is brown. So those are kind of our, that's our palette. And the kitchen is wide open to the seating. So anything that's being cooked in the kitchen, you will smell immediately. And usually it's definitely the waffle makers are going. And they smell like, you know, toasted corn. <laughs> They're cornmeal waffles. Uh-huh. So, you, so you smell that. Invariably, we're sauteing onions for either shrimp and grits or gumbo or our potatoes or something. So, you know, whenever an onion is cooking, it immediately smells like, you know, heaven in my mind.
0: <laughs> that sounds delicious. Oh, my gosh. You've trained and worked at some, you know, famous restaurants all over the world in, in France and New York, Boston, Martha's Vineyard. I'm guessing you probably could have picked anywhere to open your restaurants. Why did you pick Oakland? I like Oakland as a community because it,
2: there is a historic African-American community here. You know, it's, it's a great city. It's very diverse, which is... Um, a big value of mine. Just, um, you know, it's racially diverse, it's economically and socially diverse. The
0: the city of Oakland declared June 5th, 2012 as as Tanya Holland Day for your significant role in creating community and establishing Oakland as a culinary center. What did that honor mean to you?
2: You know, it means a lot because I'm not from here, but to have been embraced and uh, to be recognized for my contribution definitely means a lot. I am very proud because it is such a tight community. There's a lot of Oakland pride for people who were born here or families have lived here for a while, and I really appreciate that.
0: All right, so so I've just finished that incredible meal that you described earlier, the chicken and waffles and the barbecue. So where where should I go tomorrow if I were in Oakland?
2: Well, one of my favorite places to visit is an old uh, market hall, which was called Housewives Market. And there were farmer's uh, market stalls there, and they've converted it to a little uh, mini food hall. And some of my favorite food is there, and it's great. You can show up, and you can decide if you want Mexican from Casecha, if you want cow cuisine from The Cook and Her Farmer, or Japanese from Bidama. Um, and I think there's a, a pizza place in the back, and someone who's specializing in sausage So you really have a lot of options there, and it's all very reasonably priced. It's counter service, so it's very informal. And even if you're with a group, you can all go to the different places, or you can mix and match, and you can still all sit together. And it's also in an area of Oakland called Old Oakland, and it has some beautiful Victorian architecture. So um, I always like to see that, the details in the building.
0: You know there are a lot of people who visit San Francisco, uh, but they never you know quite make that short trip across the bay to the East Bay area and I have to confess I'm one of those people I haven't been to Oakland yet. What do you have to say to these people?
2: I have to say shame on you <laughs> <laughs> It is such a short trip, and it's worth it. I mean first of all, the view f- of the uh the bay of the city is great from this side, so seeing it from this side is also nice, and they're places in Oakland where you can see all the bridges, which is a beautiful view, and it's also, you know, the Bay Area has all these microclimates, and Oakland has one of the more pleasant ones. It's usually sunnier over here and warmer, and again, it's just, um, it's a lovely city. There's a lot of, I mean, I I love architecture, and there's a lot of historical architecture, um, historical buildings, buildings. And I think it should be part of everyone's Bay Area experience.
0: What are some of the must-see sites uh, elsewhere in the East Bay? Do you go to Berkeley very often? Should I should I plan months in advance to try to get a table at Chez Panisse?
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. The waterfront at Berkeley is great. You have a beautiful view of the Bay. Definitely, Chez Panisse uh, Cafe is a very is a favorite one of mine. Less formal than Chez Panisse, but still reservation required for sure um, and I love the hills in Berkeley too there's uh, Tilden Park uh, you know which is a great green space for hiking and uh, cycling you know if you've got some gears on your bike for sure those hills can get pretty steep and um, you know by the campus walking around there and just there's a lot of um, you know it's, it's sort of like a typical college town when you get close to campus. So a lot of retail and interesting little shops.
0: So you're in Oakland, which is so close to the agricultural areas of California that uh, produce so much of the produce and the the meats and everything else, the poultry. How does that affect you know what you're able to you know serve to your customers?
2: Oh, it greatly affects what we're able to serve. Uh, just having, I mean, I feel like we're right at the source. You know, we can go. To our farmers market here, and they'll tell us that you know these lettuces were grown an hour from here, or you know the strawberries were just picked yesterday. You know during the summer, and um, when you taste that difference, and then you serve it to your customers, it's very clear. Uh, you know, the quality and the experience
0: is just like nothing else. I think sometimes people who haven't had, you know, produce that's been picked an hour or two before, they don't, you don't realize oh my what you've been missing. <laughs> hey, no, it's true. It's true. You don't realize it. All right. Thanks so much, Tanya. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to California Now. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe. As you may have gathered from my conversation with Tanya Holland, I'm slightly obsessed with farm-to-fork cooking and even farm-to-face roadside eating. There are countless farm stands throughout California, and you can learn more about these delicious outposts at VisitCalifornia.com.